For more than a decade, Saturdays and Illegal Curve have been synonymous with one another. With insight, analysis, and interviews regarding the Winnipeg Jets, the Manitoba Moose, and all around the NHL, here are Dave Manouk, Ezra Ginsberg, and your host, Drew Mandel. The Illegal Curve Hockey Show starts now. The morning after, the night before, the morning before, the night after. It's a busy time for us here at Illegal Curve, and that's the way we like it. Good morning, Winnipeg. Good morning, Manitoba. For all those joining us live this morning on our YouTube channel and all of our social media platforms, we say good morning, universe, and welcome to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. With Ezra Ginsberg, I'm your host, Drew Mandel. Here for the next couple of hours, lots of Winnipeg Jets discussions to talk about. We have last night's on-ice performance. We have the off-ice season ticket conversation to have. Ken Weeb joins us at the bottom of hour number one. Marty Biron joins us at the bottom of hour number two. It's going to be a very busy Saturday morning. Good to see you again, Mr. Ginsburg. Possibly looking even better than you were a mere 10 hours ago. I appreciate that. Yeah, a lot of shows this weekend, but that's how we like it, right? Three days in a row, no problem for us. We've done like... I think the most shows we've done since we started the post-game show is five shows in one week. One week there were four games and a, and a Saturday show. I guess if you want to include the previous Saturday show. But, I mean, so this is no problem here. And, yeah, I mean, there's obviously, you know, there's a, a big story dropped yesterday. I don't think, I don't know if you want to call it a, a CJ bomb or a Johnston bomb or whatever you want to call it. Honestly, I think it's a little bit of overreaction. I realize that when you start talking about tickets and, relocation and everything like that again we're i think drew you wanted to leave that till the 10 o'clock hour obviously we'll touch on it with kenny weeb um but if anybody actually thinks the jets are in danger of relocation just look down to tempe arizona and see what's going on there the jets aren't going anywhere we know that but obviously you know the jets need to sell more season tickets that's quite obvious but you know let's get back to the on ice product here drew obviously the jets get the overtime win in chicago they didn't make it easy on themselves because you know they easily could have had three or four goals. You know, some good grade A chances. We talked about Sean Monaghan had two really good chances early in the third period. He just couldn't get the shot off uh, in front of P- Peter Morazic. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, the Jets, it's almost absurd at this point. You know, the Jets record against the Central Division. What are they, 14-3-1, I believe now, against the Central Division. And then obviously yeah. Tomorrow, we're going to get into that game. But the Coyotes, I mean, this is just a team that's not going anywhere. And well, I think they've lost 11 in a row. They've lost 11 games exactly. in a row at this point in time. And so that's it's, essentially it's, going to sink their playoff chances, right? Well, yeah. I mean, remember, because, yeah, when the Jets and the Coyotes first met, at least earlier this season, the Coyotes, I believe at the time, uh, occupied a playoff spot. And then it's been a, it's been a pretty steep nosedive uh, since then. Um, and, of course, the, yeah, we'll talk about the Jets and the Coyotes. That's tomorrow afternoon's game, 5 o'clock, or tomorrow evening's game, depending on your perspective. Perspective, and we don't need to rehash that debate that we had yesterday. Um, but you know, I, you know, we we talked about last night's game in Chicago, and the Jets get the win. It's not the commanding victory uh, that you would have wanted to see. The win is the win, though, so you know that's the good news. And then there was some line juggling that occurred prior to the game. There sure and, was. You know, there was a lot of it, yeah. And then so you know, we know that Alex Iafalo moved up to play with Nikki Ehlers and Sean Monahan, and that line was great last night. The Jets' best line, the driver of the victory for the Winnipeg Jets. We know that the Niederreiter-Lowry-Appleton line stayed the same because it has for really the vast majority of this season. Rick Bonus isn't touching that one. 
And then the fourth line was also where we saw the shuffle with uh, with, with um, Cole Perfetti moving down w- with Vlad Nemesnikov and uh, Morgan Barron, a line that was also pretty good last night. So the yep. big issue for the Winnipeg Jets, and I'm going to steal this. I saw this on on X on Twitter. Uh, this is from you know Shark Mifley, who I think Shark Mifley is is often in the chat, if I'm not mistaken. Unless there's two Shark Mifleys, which of course that would be a little bit unique. But many stranger things have happened. And uh, the Jets' first line. So that's the area where I want to focus on to start here, Ezzy. The Jets' first line. Velarde, Shifley, and Connor in the four games since they've been back together. Their expected goals percentage at five on five. 45% against Vancouver. 20% against Calgary. 18% against Minnesota. And most alarmingly, in my perspective, 27 percent against Cal- against the chicago blackhawks last night Yikes. that top line for the winnipeg jets to put it simply is getting caved in yeah and that cannot continue and to me as i start with the question there when does rick bonus make that change yes the team is playing well yes that line a large portion of that line is succeeding on the power play And that doesn't mean you have to change up the power play if you change it up at five on five. So my question to you is, how much longer does that first line stay together given the less than impressive results over the last four games? Yeah, and it's the question that I think a lot of Jets fans, a lot of members of the media, a lot of people that cover this team, however you want to call it, they're asking this because, yes, you're absolutely right, Drew. The power play is much better. Um, You know, it was basically clicking at 50% prior to yesterday's game because they only got... I think the two power play opportunities, right? Three, Yesterday it was two or three. I think it was. I thought there was three, but whatever it is. Well, I'll I'll defer to you, Drew, because your memory definitely has more brain cells left in it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we'll go with three power plays. They didn't score. I know that. Right. That's but true. The five on five play is the big concern here, and I think you know it goes back to what we said. Yes, the Jets are clicking right now. They've won five of their last six games, yeah. but it's not exactly like they've had a you know a really tough schedule. I mean, sure, they just had three goal three games in four days. But when you're talking about, you know, you're facing the Chicago Blackhawks, you've got the Arizona Coyotes tomorrow, uh, you, you just beat the Minnesota Wild. Like, these are all teams out of a playoff spot. Yes, the Wild are in playoff contention. And let's not forget about that 6-3 loss to the Flames, in which I think we would all agree that, you know, that wasn't a great performance for the Jets, right? So oh, I think what you have to Sean be concerned... <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, but you have to be concerned right now about how you don't have four scoring lines. You don't even have two scoring lines going. We talked about it. The Lowry, Nieder, Niederreiter, Appleton line, that that is Mr. Dependable, right? Like that's the line that By and large, Rick yeah. Bonus can go to. You're not expecting a lot of offense, but you're going to get some offense. We know Nieder, Nino Niederreiter recently scored a couple goals after going 15 without a goal. Cole Perfetti to me is one of the most interesting developments because he's gone, what, 13 or 14 games without a goal now. Like he's been slumping for about a month and a half. He's been slumping since well before the all-star player break. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by putting him on putting him on the fourth line, you know, you wonder how temporary or or how long are we going to see that, right? Because I think that, you know, most people expect Perfetti to be back in the top six simply because he's been there for the majority of the season. But right now, in contrast to earlier in the season, the first, let's say, 35 to 40 games when the Jets went on that long streak of having, you know, so many games where they only allowed three goals and they were so structured. The key to that was that they were getting contributions from all four scoring lines. And also something that hasn't been talked about a lot is the offense from the defense has dried up. 
Sure. Well, with the exception of John, and that's something we talked about last week. And yeah, Morrissey uh, had three assists, but you know what I'm talking about well, here. No, like earlier in the season, Drew, well, you were getting goals from Brendan yeah. Dillon, right? Like you were getting goals from Dillon DeMello. Um, it can't always, Josh Morrissey. Can't just is a, be it, Josh Morrissey. Right. Morrissey at this point in the, his career is a point per game defenseman. Close like, enough to like, it. Or, or close enough to a point per game defenseman. He has the ability is what I should say. Yeah. So you expect Morrissey to have a point or two points in any given game. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the Jets need more from everybody, really. I mean, Nate Schmidt could go back in the lineup as early as tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think you're expecting a lot of offense out of Logan Stanley or Dylan Sandberg, even though Sandberg, I believe, had a couple shots on net last night. But, well, yes, that's the, the offense has dried up and, it, and, it's a, and it's throughout the lineup. And that's the issue right now is that you your first line has to be clicking. If your first line is not clicking, yeah. and then you also have a, a second line that until recently is only clicking, that's an issue. You can't just have two lines clicking on a night-by-night basis. Well, so the, let's talk. So I actually like the move of moving Perfetti down and almost, you know, spreading out the the offense a little bit. So let's sort of take the first line out of the equation for a second just to talk about uh you know the second, third and fourth lines yesterday because I sort of like that move. You move Perfetti down, logically he's going to get easier matchups. He's playing with Vlad Nemesnikov, a great veteran player at this point perfectly suited to that fourth line center role. I think that's a dynamite spot for him. I like him with Perfetti. I like Morgan Bear in there. I think that's a line and we saw it last night. They had good numbers last night. So certainly, you know, small sample size, but I like that line together because of uh the potential that it has and that for a guy like And Nemestikov and Ehlers, pardon me, Nemestikov and Perfetti did play together yes, earlier did. this season on the second line. That's so right. They, they do have some chemistry together they for sure. They do have some chemistry when they played, when it was Nemesnikov, uh, yeah, when it was Nemesnikov and Perfetti and Ehlers, they, they were positive. They had a positive goals for percentage. So there's some there's some knowledge between uh, Perfetti and Nemesnikov. And I think it's important for the Jets to get Cole Perfetti some easier minutes. He's clearly struggling. And this is a young player still, so it's not un, uh, unusual or, or a catastrophe that he would be struggling. So what do you do to support him? You maybe give him some easier minutes, some easier matchups. So I like that. I like that. Uh, you know, we know that Appleton, Lowry, Niederreiter, they've played almost 500 minutes together this year, which is far and away the most uh, of a trio on this Winnipeg Jets team. That's just at five on five, folks. And they're a positive uh, Corsi. They have a positive goals for percentage. That line, again, it's fine as constructed right now. Who knows what the trade deadline will bring. If that changes, so be it. But for now, that line is fine. Monaghan and Ehlers and Ayafalo, they were very good last night. You know, again, small sample size for those guys. So the way, you know, I saw it described, I think it was our buddy Garrett Hole who described it this way uh, last night, is that the Jets have a top line not necessarily performing like a top line, but a 1A line that should be your offensive driver and Shifley, Connor, and and, and Velarde. And then they have almost two, they almost have three second lines after that, which is, I thought, you know, a pretty good way to describe the Winnipeg Jets' depth. And so you're not the top six and the bottom six, you know, and you're not sort of, you know, that sort of concept is that they're sort of spreading, trying to spread out the responsibilities for lines two, three, and four. And I think I, I like everything about that, and I would have no problem with everything about the way they're constructed, except for the fact that now, you know, through 
uh, hang on, I had it here up on my screen. You know, uh, you know, here, Kyle Connor, Mark Shifley, Gabe Velarde. They've played almost a hundred minutes together. You know, eight games, so we know the injury concerns and everything else that happened there. But they are a negative possession line, right? And they are fifty percent when it comes to goals for. That line just for whatever reason isn't really working that well. And then you compare it to when it was Ehlers, Shifley, and Velarde who have had almost double the time together. They were positive Corsi possession, 57%, just around there, and a goals four percentage of almost 80% as he. It just seems like Rick Bonus, for whatever reason, is being deliberately blind to what I would describe as a, a pretty simple solution, then maybe you bump Connor down and he gets to play with a guy like Monaghan and see if they have some it's obvious. chemistry together. It's obvious. We've talked about this for weeks now. Everybody knows. And you just mentioned the numbers, right? And numbers don't lie. Right? right? Like they just they just don't. Ehler, Shifley, and Velarde is your best line from, adv- from an advanced statistics perspective. Yeah, and I think the problem is that right now it's not it's not hurting you in in that, you know, you're still winning. We talked about it. The Jets have won five of six games. They're actually first place in the NHL. You mentioned this, pardon me, first place in the Western Conference based on points percentage because they have the games in hand. So yeah. technically, yes, they're not in first in the Central. But if you base it on games played and points percentage, they are. What I'm trying to say is they're in a good spot right now. Right, like there's, there's heading into the trade deadline less than two weeks away. They're in a good spot, but you're going to get into harder games coming up. Next week is not going to be an easy week. You've got St. Louis, you've got Dallas, and then you've got Carolina. Yeah. And then you say, okay, well, after Carolina, you've got Buffalo. That's the second game of a back-to-back. First of all, on the road. Then you've got the Seattle Kraken twice, and then you've got the Vancouver Vancouver Canucks on the second game of a back-to-back after you play in Seattle. So these are these are road back to backs. The Jets have two consecutive weekends where they have road back to backs. You have Carolina, Buffalo, and then you have Seattle, Vancouver. What I'm trying to say is, the schedule is about to get very tough in March. With basically, we went over this. It's a getting couple compact. Weeks ago. There's every second night schedule every second night. Yeah. So it's going to get tougher here. So this is what we're we're kind of foreshadowing here. It hasn't been an issue against the teams like, you know. Uh, uh, Phoenix and or Arizona and it hasn't been an issue uh, last night against Chicago because these are not very good teams. Mm-hmm. But when you start playing Vancouver and you start playing um, Dallas is the Carolina one and Dallas. I, well, I've said it all year for me. I mean, Dallas is the team to beat in the West, not just the mm-hmm. Central. I think if the Jets can beat Dallas, let's say, you know, in the first or second round, because it's most li- like most likely you're going to play Colorado or Dallas to get through to the West final. No question. To me, if you beat either one of those teams in a seven game series, the Jets can go all the way. I mean, that's who you have to beat. You have to get past one of Dallas or Colorado or both. Yeah, depending on, the way on where the you finish. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you're right, and I think that you know Thursday night, you know, when the Jets play Dallas, and again, we'll be at Boston Pizza on Taylor Avenue for a live watch party of the Jets stars and a live on location broadcast of the Still illegal choke. I can't be there. Post game show. I know parenting sometimes gets in the way. It's unfortunate, but we'll, you'll be there with us in spirit. And actually, we're just going to dress Spency up like you, so it'll be almost the same thing. You know, just we're going to have give him all the Ezzy mannerisms and Ezzy lingo and Ezzy uh, Ezzy sort of commentary, and we'll just make it like sort of a, a robot Ezzy uh, in the form of Spency as well. So that'll Spency be isn't happy with me right now. He wanted to meet me to meet up with him at Festival, but I haven't been able to escape the uh, the prison here. 
I understand. You know, that's uh, that, that is a, that is a troubling uh, development. I'm I'm sorry to hear that. But Thursday night against Dallas is a big game for the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, you, you have two games before then, so we're not looking past Arizona. We're not looking past St. Louis. But Dallas is, you know, probably to in my mind, and I agree with you. They've almost been one of the most consistent teams in uh, the Western Conference all year. They really haven't had very many ups or downs. They've just been a very, very strong team. And you know that they have, you know, enviable goaltending. You know they have an enviable back end. And you know that they have offensive talent as well. So it's going to be a a big test on Thursday night against the Dallas Stars. But the Jets can't win without having that top line, can't win consistently without having that top line being a force. And right now... It isn't a force. It's not. And if you can't be a force against the Chicago Blackhawks, with all due respect, I have trouble believing you're going to become a force against a team like Dallas or a team like Colorado or another sort of upper echelon team, you know, come playoff time. You need to be able to control the game. And that's the Jets line that isn't controlling the game. And there's there's a, 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 a slight tweak that did control the game when they were together. Right. And like we said before, it's, it's quite obvious to most people that follow this team, us included jets fans. I know there's a lot of vocal people on, on Twitter slash X that just are astounded that essentially Rick bonus refuses to put Ehlers on the top line. And I realize a lot of people in the chat are talking about the offside and what we mean by that, for those who are wondering what we're talking about, Ehlers is a left shot. He's better on the right side. Right. So I think, you know, what the, concern becomes is if Ehlers is on the left side is he as effective with Velarde on the the right side and look at I I think you know that's something sure that you have to factor in that's a good question for Kenny Weeb but you know the reality is that again I'll I'll mention this I've been mentioning this I feel like I'm the only one that's been mentioning this the Jets are 100% healthy right now no injuries right and the Jets have had their fair share of injuries this year obviously there's other teams that have had more injuries but it's not like we're talking about, you know, the Jets missing somebody that's going to bolster their top six. Sean Monaghan has been that player that they've acquired, and he's been as advertised, especially on the power play. He's really contributed, right, with a lot of goals. Yeah. So I think that, you know, this, if if Rick Bonus is going to keep this line together, Shifley, Connor, Velarde we're talking about, they've got to produce. They have to be better. In order for the Jets to win these games in a commanding fashion, and yesterday was not a commanding fashion. No. I mean, the Jets barely just pulled out of Chicago with the extra point there. So that top line is going to be better. And in terms of Perfetti, we'll see what happens here. I agree. He's been struggling. We know that he's been dealing with a wrist injury. Rick Bonus mentioned that himself. So we'll see what happens with Perfetti. But I, I just don't know, are you really maximizing Cole Perfetti long-term? I agree with you now, Drew, as he's trying to gain his confidence. You know, he plays on the fourth line, but I'm just not sure if that's a permanent spot for him. That's all I'm saying. Permanent is a, is a is a strong word. No, I don't. Sure, no, it permanent. Is. I don't think so. But right now, term, or even let's say for the rest of the season, I don't have a problem with him for the rest of the season down there. Again, you're okay. getting easier matchups. You're you're a skilled There's no wrong player. answer, by the way, right? Because if he continues to struggle, well, but then I mean, the, why does why should he be bumped back into the top six? What are you rewarding him for, right? I, that that's just it. I mean, I haven't seen enough play at enough quality play when he was on that second line to warrant him being there. And I think, and I think that go that pardon me, that fourth line can score goals. Well, we know Morgan, just... Morgan Barron's already got nine goals. How many does Nemestikov have six or seven, something like that. Perfetti, we know who, he can score goals. So I can see that being actually a very, let's say possession positive line. I'm just saying, I don't know if 
Perfetti stays there. That's all I'm saying. You're, you could be right, Drew. I mean, he might be on the fourth line for the rest of the year or for the majority of the rest of the year if the Jets stay healthy. Well, but and, and if he is, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that just means easy matchups. You know, you're probably going out against teams third pairings at that point in time or, you know, a team's bottom of the lineup forward group. I think that's a perfectly fine position. I don't think the Jets will uh, be suffering by any stretch of the imagination if Cole Perfetti and Vlad Nemesnikov and Morgan Barron are, are, are together for the remainder of the year, uh, you know, uh, probably eating up some some decent minutes you know, at the bottom of the lineup. That is, to me, a perfectly fine way for the Winnipeg Jets to move forward. I'll now, say this I much, feel... though, Drew. Your second yeah. line, though, loses a little bit of pop. Like, Alex Iafallo has not exactly been lighting it up. But what I do like about Alex Iafallo is he's a guy that can play that F1, get in on the forecheck, dig up pucks right. in the corner. He does have a scoring touch. Like, you forget earlier this season, not you, Drew, but, I mean, based on his goalless drought, you forget yeah. that he was actually having a, a pretty good year. I'm just looking... Seven goals and 18 points in 55 games. At one point, he was on pace for like a 50-point season. So right. he, he, the offense is dried up for Iafalo. That's all I'm saying. I think with that second line, there might be a little bit of a concern that you just don't have as much offensive well, pop if you're, with Iafalo off- there. Well, but if your offense in that, if your second line is is Ehlers, uh, Iafalo, and Monahan, or if it becomes Connor. Monahan and, and Ayafalo. There should be enough offense there. You got a guy to go do a lot of that dirty work. Not that Sean Monahan shies away from that dirty work either. But you know, Ayafalo is just going to be, you know, he's going to be defensively responsible. He's going to go and he's going to be, I think he's going to go win puck battles there a lot. You know, I like Ayafalo. All I'm saying is that it's a drop-off in offense from from Ayafalo from Perfetti to Ayafalo. That's on paper. On paper, I would agree, but lately yeah. it hasn't been because Perfetti's been struggling. Well, but then so is Ayafalo. Well, fair enough. Yes, that that that's true. But if Perfetti's not performing offensively, he there really isn't sort of at this stage of his career. Yeah. There's not that extra layer exactly. to his game. He's and that's not what gonna... I think part of the reason. And we'll talk to Kenny Weeb about this coming yeah. up in about five minutes. But that's part of the reason why they've dropped him down. Because yeah. Cole Perfetti is a is a responsible defensive player, but he needs to. When you're in the top six, you need to be producing offense. Right. And so when you go 14 games without a goal, I realize he's got a few assists in there, uh, but there's no doubt that he's been struggling. Like if you compare, what are we at game 54 now? If you compare the first 30 to 35 games versus the last 20 games, there's been a significant dip in Perfetti's play. And I'm not surprised by that, again, because this is a young player who, you know, the season is a grind. We know how difficult it is, especially when you're in February and March and you're, you know, every second night for the games. And, you know, if you're not used to playing this number of games at this level, you know, men versus young men, it can be a real grind on your body and it can wear you down. So I'm not surprised. We've seen it for so from so many different young players over the years that they get into this meaty part of the schedule and 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 it and it gets hard your legs get heavier and it reminds you, you to... a little bit of Jack Roslovic right remember all those years we were talking about you know when is Roslovic going to become that second line center obviously he was more of a winger with the Jets but I think there's similarities right both first round picks Perfetti was a higher pick but I think Roslovic as a skilled center was always one of those guys Drew that was always had that upside of a top six forward but sometimes he was on the third line. Sometimes he was on the fourth line, right? So all I'm saying is I'm I'm agreeing with you yeah. that the Jets have had players that, you know, were drafted relatively high. I mean, 
throw in Nick Patan if you want. I mean, obviously, well, no, Patan's I mean, ceiling... I think Nick, Nick Ehlers, when Nick Ehlers sort of first burst on the scene uh, and became a regular member of the Winnipeg Jets, he went through a similar slump. This is just what happens with young players where the, the season begins to wear on them and they have to find a way to... To, to, to pull themselves out of it. And oftentimes the solution might be moving down in the lineup and, and, and sort of getting some easier minutes until you can sort of find yourself again and find your legs again and find that touch that can often go away, you know, just in the course of a season. So and that's I really... why I think, I think Perfetti is going to stay on that second, pardon me. Perfetti will stay on the fourth line tomorrow versus Arizona. Oh, no question. He, about he, might, it. he might even stay there, you know, for the foreseeable future, Drew. I'm just saying, I, I don't know if, you know, a team that has Stanley Cup aspirations, if Ayafalo gives you enough offense on that second line. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying I'm right, because I think I like him as a player, but I think he's more effective either on a third or, or fourth line role on which, this team, just on this team. I don't disagree with you, which is why I think the Jets are in the market still for another winger to maybe now, who does that bump Did you say out Jake of? Jake Gensel? Well, I don't think they're going to be in on Jake Gensel. I mean, I don't think they should but, be, you know, Look, there's a lot of good wingers out there that they should be. I don't know what they're willing to pay, given that they've already traded the first round pick uh, for Sean Monahan. But you know, a guy, and again, we've talked about him, and, and you know, Pavel Buchnevich is it would be you know appealing to a lot of people. That's going to cost you a, a pretty penny because yep. he is he's still got another year on his contract. But I do think the Jets are looking for. Uh, an offensively inclined upgrade on the wing just to provide some additional insulation. Now, who does that bump out of the lineup? Well, make the trade and then figure it out. I mean, you don't have to necessarily know. There could be an injury. Who knows what's going to happen between now and and the deadline, which is, of course, you know, less than two weeks away now. Uh, uh, it's going to be that Friday. I believe it's Friday, March the 8th, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it is, so it's two weeks from yesterday. Yep. Uh, you know, it, look. I think there's more upgrades coming for this Winnipeg Jets team. We talked about the offense as the from the back end. If it's not Morrissey, there's really nobody else there to pick up the slack as of late. So do you look to maybe shore up the offense on the back end, get another puck mover? That would be certainly something that I would uh, would not be surprised to see the Winnipeg Jets do. But I think you got you have to figure out a way to get Velarde, Shifley, and Connor going. And whether it's as simple as swapping. Connor and, and and Ehlers because we know that other that, that line had success before or whatever the the machinations are going to be you can't have a Jets top line that's being uh that, that that's getting caved in against some lesser opponents like they have been over the last week or so exactly and I'm not worried about it like I said earlier against a team like the Coyotes coming up tomorrow night right. slash afternoon but I do worry about it when you go against Dallas, who have defeated the Jets twice this year. When you go up against Carolina. Relatively handily both times, I would say, as well. Exactly. Dallas is a legitimate Stanley Cup contender, and I think the Jets are as well. I think I just put the Stars a little bit ahead of the Jets. Not by that much, but I would just say, you know, you look at their group of defensemen. I think their yeah. forward depth is probably either just as good or maybe even a little bit better. But I definitely give them the edge on defense. I mean, we've gone over that. Uh, you know, Miro Haskinen, one of the best defensemen in the game, right? So, yeah, when you play the Stars, when you play the Hurricanes, the Canucks, that's when you got to have four lines clicking. And especially as we've talked about that first line, that's why it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, if Ehlers does get bumped up there. But, I mean, we've been talking about this for years. Paul Maurice, Rick Bonus, they love having Shifley and Connor together on that first line. 
that they do. Time to head to the buffet. Kenny Weeb is going to join us for that trip. It's coming up after these commercial messages. Stay with us. Saturday morning, the Illegal Curve Hockey Show with Drew Mandel and Ezra Ginsberg rolls on on our YouTube channel and all of our social media platforms. Bottom of hour number one, Drew Mandel, Ezra Ginsburg with you Saturday morning. We remind you tomorrow evening, right about 7.30, 7.45, the Illegal Curve postgame show following the Jets and the Coyotes. They will do battle in downtown Winnipeg. We're pleased to welcome to the program our very good friend, the one, the only, Mr. Weeb himself. Kenneth Weeb joins us on the show. Kenny, how are you, brother? Nice to see you. Yes, good morning. Uh, doing well, thank you. How are you guys? Sorry I was not my usual 15 minutes early. Ezzy, sorry to make you a bit nervous here. It was not the it's intent. Dave already leaves you on the weekend, and you know, now I'm nowhere. Yeah, where's Dave been? Two I games, a, a Saturday morning show. Dave vacation, decides to go so, somewhere hot. Like, there you go. Hold on. I, I gotta, speaking of somewhere hot, Dave, I can I, I got to say when I, I was in Scottsdale uh, last weekend, and I had no idea. Humble that, brag, Kenny. That, that, no, 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 no big deal. I had no idea that when you drive into Scottsdale, uh, there's a sign that says the uh, winter home of Ken Weeb <laughs> right on the city limits. I had no idea that existed, but uh, mazel tov on that accomplishment. Oh, yeah. No, no. It's uh, I don't spend nearly as much time at Scottsdale. Uh, my in-laws are, are quite a bit uh, the other direction, uh, ah, close okay. to Maricopa, but uh, I do appreciate the effort, and I will be getting back there next month uh, when my colleague Mike McIntyre is on the uh, New York swings. So, you know, I thank you for thank you for checking in on the uh, golf course uh, yes. maintenance plan. It's it's That's appreciated. Right. They're still trying to fix your divots from last time you were down there. <laughs> you know, you're not you're supposed to hit the ball, not just the ground. You know, Kenny. But uh, you know, lesson learned so on that one. Kenny could beat you with one hand tied behind his back. There's no question about it, Mister Hole in One himself. Uh, Kenny, obviously uh, not talking about golf in Arizona, but talking about the Winnipeg Jets yep. uh, last night, uh, a victory. So you can't, you know, take the win away, but the uh, impressive factor with the exception of, you know, Ehlers, Monaghan and, uh, and Ayafalo may not have been there, especially from that Jets top line. I think that's a source of consternation as of late. Uh, Ezzy and I rattled off the numbers in that first segment about the expected goals percentage for that sure. uh, line at five on five as of late. Do you see any indication from Rick Bonus that he's thinking of uh, changing things up there? Or is he sort of going to keep rolling with it? Team winning on the ice, that top line maybe not performing necessarily as well as you'd expect. Yeah, I mean... Uh... Certainly still a work in progress uh, for the top six. I think that's uh, fairly evident. Uh, we saw that uh, in action on Friday night. And, um, you know, Nikolai Ehlers was a guy who needed a spark and he found it. So I would say that that was the uh, the good news for Rick Bonus in terms of the shuffle. Uh, I mean, obviously one of the goals was at five on five, but it was mostly generated by Ehlers and a wicked shot, which, you know, I don't know how often it goes out in out of a hundred times, but uh, it went in on Friday. And that's all that really mattered for a guy who needed to score. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Gabriel Velarde, impressive breakaway move, went to the backhand, incredible say, you know, one of many great saves by Peter Morazic. But for the most part, yeah, it was a sleepy night for the top line. Uh, is that overly concerning? Uh, because it's now, you know, I guess three games in a row, Mark Shifley has been a little bit quiet for some, but I mean, Mark Shifley also had his probably, I think, his best game of the year on Saturday against the Canucks. And, uh, you know, I'm not here to make excuses for people, but I mean, this is the dog days of the season. And if you look up on February 24th and, you know, the Jets are first place in points percentage, 
I would say they have lots of things that could use improvement, but I don't know that there's a massive concern uh, over the top line. Yes, the analytics are poor. And do I think they're playing their best? No. Uh, what I would also say is we've spent the last three months complaining about where the power play is at. And those three guys, uh, plus Sean Monaghan and Josh Morrissey have basically sparked the power play, uh, you know, to the six for 11 until last night's over three. So, mm-hmm. uh, do I think that that's, do we think, do I think the jets are at their, you know, best optimal deployment for the top six right now? No. Uh, but I do think that. You know, again, I know you asked me about the first line, but I think Alex Ifollow did a nice job on that line. Yes, one of the goals was at six on five, and both were uh, dynamic jobs by Nikolai Ehlers to get the goal. But I also think there was more chemistry shown by Sean Monahan and Nikolai Ehlers in that game than probably by any of the previous seven. So uh, that's not going to quiet the Ehlers belongs on the top line crowd. I understand that. But I mean, let's also not, yes, chicken and egg to a degree, but until last night, Nikolai Ehlers had not done anything to say he should be on the top line uh, based on the previous 10 games. And yes, we know his, his neck injury or whatever he's dealing with, his neck is what he had in training camp. So when, when Rick Bonus says, yes, it's a recurring injury, but it's new, I mean, it, we're trying to connect the dots. So I, <laughs> I think that it probably has something to do with his neck. Maybe based on his legs, it sure didn't look like it was a lower body issue last night. So <laughs> um, I'm not concerned about many things. Uh, I, I would say it is fair to say that Kyle Connor, I don't think Kyle Connor looks like himself since the injury, since returning after missing 16 games. But Having said that, he's had eight points in the last four games. So including the overtime winner, which was his eighth overtime winner of his career and sixth game winner this season. Not bad for a guy who missed 16 games with a serious knee injury. So do I think he has another level to reach? Absolutely. Um, do I think Rick Bonus is in any in any uh hurry to break up the top line no it's it's evident in his words and his actions does that mean that line will start game one of the stanley cup playoffs not not if they struggle but i think it's pretty evident that rick bonus is looking for chemistry for sean monahan and nikolai ehlers and he's going to make a couple spins with the right winger to see if that's the case but it's possible that Rick Bonus goes back to Nikolai Ehlers at some point on the top line, but you know I don't think it's likely based on you know the classic Elliot Friedmanism. If past behavior is a precursor to future behavior, mm-hmm. I think it's pretty evident that Kyle Connor is going to be riding shotgun with Mark Scheifele. So that means they need to pick up some elements of their game, but the production element has been there. So now they need to cut down on what they're giving up. Ken, you'll be proud of me here. You know, when we do the post game show, I'm sure I know you do this with your post game shows, but I took a couple notes and I, I made note of two really good back checks by Kyle Connor. One was at four on four on go. Colin Blackwell. I think Jason Dickinson might've been the other one. Like, so again, you know, a lot of people point to the defense of Kyle Connor. Uh, and as you mentioned, he's still putting the puck in the net. It might've been a bit of an ugly goal, but I think his defensive play 
I'm actually pretty happy with where it's at. I'm not saying that he's Steve Eiserman, but I'm just saying that I think it, it has improved. I want to ask you about Cole Perfetti, Kenny, because obviously, sure. you know, that was a bit of a surprise. I think, you know, some people expected Perfetti to be moved down to the fourth line earlier in the season, but it happened yesterday against Chicago. I wanted to ask you is, should we, this is our conversation that we had right before you came on. Should we be more comfortable with Perfetti being on the fourth line? Like how long do you see him staying on the fourth line? Obviously, that's a tough question to answer because he's only been on the fourth line for one game. But what's your kind of overall take on that? Do you see this maybe being a little bit longer term than maybe some people thought originally? I mean, that's going to be up to Cole as he, uh, to a degree, it is a surprise, but it shouldn't be a surprise for one reason. We know how much Rick Bonus values the play of Vladislav Nemesnikov. Mm-hmm. And when Cole Perfetti had his stretch of you know, points in 13 of 15 and racking up 15 points, who was, who was he playing on a line with? Vladislav Nemesnikov. So mm-hmm. yes, by number, paint by numbers and paint by ice time, we look at Cole Perfetti on Friday night, he was on the fourth line with Morgan Barron. But he's with two guys that Rick Bonus absolutely uh, loves in terms of what they bring to the table. So yes, it is a demotion in the, you know, in the traditional sense, but it's not a punishment. It, it's, I think that I, you know, Rick Bonus would like more from Cole Perfetti. There are parts of his game that uh, you know, have not been there as with as much regularity as we saw in the first quarter or even in the first half of the season. So we put him with a guy that he had some comfort level with. The other part about that is that the line, even though I, I was one of the many people who thought based on hockey intelligence, IQ, vision, passing ability, that it would be easy for Cole Perfetti to fit with Sean Monaghan. And it still might fit at some point. We were talking very small sample sizes. But to this point, those two haven't really clicked on a line together. So it makes perfect sense to me that for a guy that has no goals in 15 and one assist during that stretch, who's an offensive player, that he was knocked off the line momentarily. And it was less about what Cole can do offensively than what Alex Ayafalo can do on the forecheck in terms yeah. of disruption. We're not blind here, guys. Alex Ayafalo, 19 games without a goal and one assist. Yeah. So we're not trading someone who's red hot offensively right. for someone who's struggling <laughs> offensively. Some people would say, you know, one point for one point is a lateral move, but it wasn't about the offense. It's about the balance. Rick Bonus has used the word balance to his lines mm-hmm. a ton of times. We know that it's not just the most top six players get into the top six and the most six skilled players, you know, throw the sticks down, put them together and hope for the best. You know, Alex Iafalo brings a different skill set to that line. And the most important thing is the defensive element. And I've said this before on numerous platforms. Cole Perfetti is a smart defensive player, but doesn't play with a ton of speed. So the things that he gets by on are his smarts and his ability to anticipate and all of those other things. He's not a massively disruptive player on the forecheck. He's not a physical player. And again, Alex Iafalo isn't a run the defenseman through the end boards type of player, but he is a guy who turns pucks over because he has a good stick and he gets in on the forecheck. He's an incredibly smart defensive player, very reliable. So that meshes well with Sean Monahan also. 
Is it the long-term solution? I don't, I'm not here to say it is. And I certainly wouldn't say so after one game, but I saw a lot of, you know, initial things that a coach would say, Hey, that could work. So let's try it again. When it comes to Perfetti long-term, we know he's a top six player, but the Jets aren't asking their fourth line to be a bang and crash type of line like Vegas did last year during their run to the Stanley Cup final. So could he be there for a while? Could he be an effective player on the fourth line? I think was the bigger question, Ezzy, that people were wondering. And I think the answer is pretty clear that it would be yes. Mm -hmm. But now, do I think he's going to be stuck there? Not necessarily. I think that Cole Perfetti has played more NHL games this year than he ever has before. We know that's right by the numbers. What we also know is that Cole Perfetti is at the stage of his career where he's barely played over one NHL season and he's an undersized player. So should we be shocked that there is a quote-unquote sophomore slump in a season where he has 14 goals and was cruising towards a 20-goal season, which anyone at the age of 21 or 22 would be thrilled with? No, we shouldn't be. What we need to find out is how Cole pulls himself out of it. And what we know about Cole is that I don't think he would be happy spinning his wheels. So that means going back to the lab, getting back to watching video, trying to do the things that made him successful in the first quarter of the season. We know it's way harder to score in the last quarter than the first quarter against most teams. So I expect Cole Perfetti to bounce back. Now, does that mean he's going to score 14 in the last 27? (laughs) Probably not. But I also don't think he's going to score two in the last 27. So it is definitely something to, to be monitoring closely. Will the Jets be looking for an additional middle six or a forward that you could play anywhere between the second and the fourth line? It's entirely possible. But it doesn't mean that Cole Perfetti is not part of the solution, nor does it mean that Cole Perfetti might not find a way to get get himself back on a second line or a more of a (laughs) scoring line. So uh, I understand the reason for concern. And the biggest thing for me, guys, he's not moving the same way that he moved in the first quarter of the season. And again, that's natural for a young player. It's hard to maintain all of those things over the course of a rigorous and grueling 82-game schedule, especially for a player like him who's battled through all these injuries. One of the first things Cole Perfetti said in the first interview, guys, I want to play 82 games or as close to 82 as I can. He's done an excellent job of keeping himself available and involved in the lineup. Yes, lately he's taken a couple of big hits again, but not to the same degree as he's taken when he was knocked out of his first two stints at the NHL level. So uh, I see a lot of good from Cole Perfetti, but I also know, you know, we can't be blind to the fact he's not having as big an impact in the game as he was in the first, you know, 20 to 35 games. So it's it's almost funny, sorry, I just wanted to say this, Drew. It's almost like, and I realize it's hard to do this because like you said, you know, if you look at the first line, second line through number four, I mean, the fourth line obviously gets the least amount of ice time, but it's almost like you have to just look at it like the Jets have four scoring lines, and this is where Perfetti fits in better now. He fits in better with Nemesnikov and Barron, and like you said, don't look at it like a demotion. If you don't look at it like a demotion, and you just look at it like he's one of 12 forwards, and he happens to be playing with Nemesnikov, who you mentioned, Kenny, Perfetti and Nemesnikov, Nemesnikov not only had chemistry together, they produced offensively his best 
offensive output was with Nemestikov, I think you're right. So I'm starting to chill out a little bit on Perfetti on the fourth line. And again, I I, I thought he was noticeable. I mean, I look back, he only had mm-hmm. one shot on goal. Baron had two, but and you know, Vladislav Nemestikov had to ring the shot off the iron in the first period. I thought they were effective. Yes, they weren't as much in the rotation in the third period, but they still got their 10 plus minutes. And one of the reasons Cole's minutes were down a, a little bit longer, you know, more than normal is because the top line or the top unit spent the majority of the time out on the, it was one of those nights where the power play wasn't going one minute to one minute. And you can understand why that is when you go six for 11 and you have all six goals, the, the top unit wanted to, you know, have a little bit of a bigger piece of the pie on Mm -hmm. special teams. So on a normal night, maybe Cole has a little bit more on the, um, you know, power play side, and then he's closer maybe to 12 or 13 rather than the 11 or 10 and a half. And, and if those 11 or 12 and a half or whatever the number is, if those are sort of softer minutes, maybe against oh. another team's third or fourth line or third pairing defense, that's only going to be the, to the benefit of Perfetti and the Mesnikov and Baron. I mean, everything I, there's no reason why that line as a fourth line, and if it stays as a fourth line, who knows? You know, well, time will tell on that front. But there's no reason why that line shouldn't have successful minutes against their opposition, uh, by and large. Bang on, Drew, and and that's the thing. So, when a guy is struggling offensively, and you're playing a team that I think is last in the NHL in goal differential, the last, mm-hmm. you know, it's either them or San Jose, and it's a it's a large number. It it, it makes sense a to to try get the chemistry project out and B to play them against a team that isn't as good defensively, even though they've played the jets hard and yes, Mrazek one twenty one <laughs> out of one twenty seven and 29, whatever the jets the will be glad not to see him again this year. No kidding. Uh, they'll be even more thrilled that he signed an extension and isn't going to be going anywhere in the West uh, for the playoff run. But yeah, I mean, that's part of it. You're, you're, when you're trying to build confidence with a young player, yes, I understand people would say demoting someone to the fourth line would not be a way to boost someone's confidence. But to give them those softer matchups that you mentioned, Drew, that that's part of the deal. I mean, right. if you're playing against, like, you're going to like Cole Perfetti's chances against a lot of fourth line when third defense pairing teams. So yeah. now the Jets also have Arizona rolling in. We know that... You know, it's been a struggle for them too. 11 losses in a row, 0-10-1. That's a tough go for a team that earlier on the year was battling in the middle of that, you know. They were in a playoff spot spot for for a while. Like they were battling in the middle of the race for eighth. And with all of their, you know, kind of young, impressive players, we're looking like a team that, that, you know, might actually be on the upswing. And they probably still are, but it looks like that upswing uh, hit a bit of a roadblock here. Now, you know, Connor Ingram is also traveling. So, you know, maybe he gets back to the level he was playing at where, you know, when they were going, but also Carl Vomelka, we know has had some good games against the Jets, but the Jets seem to have found a way to solve him this year. Uh, you know, maybe guys like Perfetti can get going offensively against a team that, again, we, we know the Coyotes' str- strengths. They play hard, yeah. but they're also a bit loose defensively. I mean, that's something Andre Tournier has been working incredibly hard on his team with his team on. Yeah. But they have not graduated into the upper class when it comes to that element of the game. So, uh, you know, again, I'm not up here to say it's point night for the Jets, but this is a bit of a softer part of the schedule as compared to the next stretch where you're going to see Dallas 
You're going Carolina. to see Vancouver again. Yeah. You're going to see Carolina. Um, we will be seeing a lot of each other, Kenny, at Canada Life. <laughs> yeah, and, and also, too, I mean, it's... I understand people are, you know, a little bit up in arms that the Jets are not, you know, cruising the way that they were in December. But as all of us were mentioning on said post-game shows and morning shows and afternoon shows, December's kind of the exception rather than the rule. It, it It's not... Dis- discredit the jets for going 10 one and three either that was an incredible stretch but the chances of them going 10 one and three over a seven (laughs) month stretch were very slim (laughs) even for one of the better teams in the nhl and again the jets have room for improvement but the biggest thing for me and again i don't want to speak for you guys but i'm pretty sure we're in tune on this that the jets have had a bit of a hiccup and went five out of six uh, with victories <laughs> is way different than last year when the when the wheels started to fall off kind of slowly right and then when the when the when the bicycle start or the bicycle with the wagon started going down the down the mountain then all four of the wheels came off the jets completely abandoned their structure they completely forgot or chose not to play the way that they did when they got off to the best start in franchise history that's not happening now it's not a, it's not a, you know, massive, you know, yes, yesterday there was a breakaway goal by yeah. Colin Blackwell. Yes, that happened uh, on a play that, you know, I think in, with, in the video room today, Rick Bonus and Scott O'Neill would be saying, Logan, you got to either get that through or just send that down the boards on the right wing side. Colin Black, uh, Colin Blackwell playing for a team that is not battling for a playoff spot reads that play, flies the zone, and gets a breakaway. It's a bit of an abnormal play. You can call it a good read because it worked out, but in a lot of situations that would have created, an, if the puck goes deep rather than onto the stick of Seth Jones, that creates a 5-on-4 essentially because Colin Blackwell is at center ice. Right. Right? So, uh, yes, they gave up a breakaway there, but it, it's not an odd man rush bonanza against for the Jets. The they're not abandoning. They're not in between. They're not playing man on man sometimes and zone sometimes. They're playing the structure that they are asked to to play, and they're not giving up a whole lot five on five. Right, six on five goal for Tyler Johnson. The puck bounces right to him, lands on his stick. Uh, the other goal is a very easily preventable play. I I didn't really find. You know, I understand natural Statric has the, this tie danger chances eleven seven for Chicago. I didn't particularly find that the Jets were under siege in that game on Friday night, nor did I ever really think it was in danger for them. Do I think they were playing their A or A-plus game? No, but I think with a little bit better finish, uh, the game gets to 3 nothing or 3-1, and I, sure. I don't see this being something that, uh, you know, there's a lot of caution or hazard signs flashing around the building because... You know, quite frankly, the Jets were fine. Could, they needed to, they need another level to beat higher end teams, no doubt. Let but me, I didn't come away from that game with a ton of concern. Although I understand why some people would have some concern, uh, but I do think that they're in the, the this stretch of finding themselves again. And I would say it's much more important for the Jets to be playing well in mid March than it is on February twenty third and twenty fifth. 
uh, though that is a work, it's clearly a work in progress. Let me ask you this, Kenny. I mean, we're sitting here, the trade deadline is, is 13 days away. And of course, that's going to be the center of attention for so many people, because that's what happens this time of year. Yep. The offense from the back end has been a priority for Rick Bonus. Those are his words, you know, not ours. He's he's put an emphasis on getting more from the back end in the last 10 games. Josh Morrissey's got eight points. He's done his job. He's contributed. Of course, three of those points came last night. But then you look beyond that, and it's DeMello with four points, Samberg with two, Pionk with two, Schmidt with two. Uh, Brendan Dillon has got a goose egg. Logan Stanley in only five games, he's got that one assist. Is that an area that the Jet that you think the Jets should be looking to upgrade an offensively inclined player on the back end who can maybe take some of that pressure? off Josh Morrissey as Morrissey's really the only contri- consistently contributing member of the Jets defense offensively uh you know this season. Yeah, I mean Josh has been uh you know he was excellent on Friday, three yeah. three helpers. Uh, most importantly was the play he made on Nick Felino on the overtime 100%. goal in overtime. I mean, that's sure. a you know a smart play, steals it, got him, you know, and then gets up ice, you know. Nick Felino is a guy who does a lot of things well not the fleetest of foot. So if you can steal the puck from a guy and create a kind of an odd man opportunity, and again, great hustle by Felino to get back to even have the shots, you know, carry him in off his skate, un- unfortunately for him. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I-, I would say it's quite prevalent that the Jets have not been getting as much from the back end outside of Josh Morrissey. Now, the most offensive player, outside of Morrissey in that group is generally Neil Pionk and, and his offense has dried up to a certain degree. Also, mm-hmm. uh, I don't see the jets activating as often with the second wave that we saw at various points in time during the last two seasons. Uh, do I think the jets are going to go out and get a power play specialist or a guy that creates more offense? No, I think that they're more concerned about the way they're going to defend when the playoffs arrive. Uh, you know, I would even say Drew, or, uh, Drew that you know Kyle Kappa Bianco was a guy that even though you know he hasn't been up with the Jets at all this year, uh, in a series where they think they might need a little bit more offense, he's a guy that you could go to. I know he hasn't really popped offensively at the NHL level, but he's had a really strong year at the American League level as kind of a depth piece. Yeah, and we also know that you know everywhere you turn, <laughs> you hear that the Jets want to get some minutes for Vili Hainala, uh, this before the season is over. Now, the three of us would look around and say, well, there's 13 days before the deadline. It seems like a, a pretty good time to, wouldn't you want to find out before the deadline passes? That would make sense to me. Uh, <laughs> but, but at the same time, you know, Rick bonus was very staunch. The last mm-hmm. time I asked him uh, for a casual scouting report about Vili Hainala, I didn't say, Hey man, why haven't you called this guy up yet? I said, what are the scouting report? What has the scouting report been on Vili Hainala? And he made it quite clear that the people around Vili Hainala don't feel like Vili Hainala is up to speed. And uh, that shouldn't come as a massive shock. Now, that also shouldn't come as something where the Jets aren't going to try to get him into some games in the next two-week period. But that will require some roster machinations. Now, David Gustafson's two-week conditioning stint uh, will expire, um, I think, after today's game against the Calgary Wranglers. So it, unless the Jets are willing to expose David Gustafson to waivers, 
they don't they what's the other move to call up Vili Hanala unless it's involving Logan Stanley or a trade or something else. So right. um, I'll be watching with interest on that front also. Uh, but I think the if we're looking at defensemen, um, you know, could they find someone who does both Drew? That would be my, that would be my counter. I think that they would like someone who has, can produce a bit of offense, but I don't know that that will be their priority. If, if they're looking to add a defenseman, it will either be someone in the, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to use Yan Ruda as a name. I'm not saying it him specifically, but a guy with some experience that can either play on a, you know, second or third pairing, or maybe even be a seven uh, based on the group that the Jets have. Now, I still think that Chris Tanev would be in play for a team like the Jets, but he's also in play for Dallas. He's also in play for Toronto. He's exactly. a, he would mm-hmm. be in play for everyone who is looking for a defenseman, which is why Craig Conroy hasn't lowered the price. Now you have a game of chicken where you have probably six to 12 GMs who feel they have a shot to win the cup are kind of having a bit of a staring contest and no one has decided to blink right. um, when it comes to paying the high first or a uh, something equivalent on the prospect pool side of things. Uh, but again, I, I Kevin Sheveldayoff does an excellent job, guys, of keeping his cards close to the vest. I mean, we know that, <laughs> we know Chris, that. <laughs> Chris Tanev would be a good fit on a number of levels and not just because he started his pro career with the Manitoba Moose. Checks all the boxes. Character, uh, warrior type of player, mobile, physical, battles, uh, would fit in seamlessly to the room. Oh, and by the way, they might know a thing or two about him because his brother played on the team. And hey, I'm not saying Brandon Tanev would be the scoring threat the Winnipeg Jets would be looking for, but if Seattle falls out of it, guys. Yeah, I thought that the other day too. It would not be a surprise. If Bring they both were, of the Tanev if they, boys, if Kenny. they were in on both of them, <laughs> and whether that means they get both of them or not remains to be seen because you guys know my position on Nino Niederreiter, and we know that Rick Bonus loves him with Adam Lowry, but I think that although he's been reluctant to go to it, and I understand why, the Jets have a pretty capable top six player if they're looking to add one. That guy scored 20 goals seven times. And yes, I know he's gone through a a cold patch, but if you bring a player who has had success with Adam Lowry, I would think it's probably you would become less reluctant to potentially splitting up that third line, knowing what kind of game Brandon Tanev plays and knowing that he you know, could also jump in on the penalty kill and provide the Gumby blocked shots that he used to as well. So again, I'm not saying Brandon Tanev is the solution to any of the Jets problems. I'm saying he would be worth considering. Um, you know, again, I haven't watched him enough this year. I know he hasn't been producing offensively the way that he used to. When he got into 14, a nice little scrap 14 yesterday. 14 goals. Again, yeah. high character guy who does a lot of things that a playoff team would value. And again, if it's not with Adam Lowry, you could play him on the fourth line and, and get you know, very solid play, special teams play. Uh, I would say there there would be a lot of feistiness if you had uh, Brandon Tanov on the fourth line with Vladi Nemesnikov and a, and a Morgan Barron or something along those lines. So yeah. again, it'll be super interesting. And again, I'm not convinced the Jets are going to go out and get a top six forward. I mean, you know, you see Pavel Bushnevich have a hat trick and you think, man, <laughs> wouldn't that be a great fit for two playoff runs? Well, yeah, it's going to cost the Jets a first rounder in 2025 
plus Brad Lambert or or something yeah. equivalent. So, yeah. um, you know, I'm not saying that you would or wouldn't do that, but the price tag. And again, Doug Armstrong can ask for two firsts. That doesn't mean Doug Armstrong is getting two firsts, but he's also in a playoff race. And I was just going to say, Kenny, this is not 2018 when the when the Blues well, were essentially out of it. No, they're in they a playoff spot they today. They were out of it. They were they were also within one point of the playoffs that year too, Ezzy. That's why it caused a bit of an uproar that's with right. Braden Shen. But they did fall off after that. But um, they won a Stanley what, Cup. They're good. Well, the next year they were fine, right? They <laughs> they they made some they made some moves at center that that worked out for them, as it turns out, including Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, it, it's interesting, and and we also you know I talked about this a little bit with Hustler, and I mean you guys are not immune to this. You're very well aware. I mean, the Jets may be getting a boost, not to their top six, most likely, but once the University of Michigan Wolverines are done their season, there Rutgers. is a certain high-end prospect. That's who I was going to ask you about, Kenny. You stole my question. Oh, my goodness, uh, Drew, or, or uh, Ezzy. We're just in sync here on a Saturday morning. So <laughs> okay, so you mentioned <laughs> Rucker McGordy, Kenny. This is my question. I guess I think I know what your answer is going to be, A, it's a part two, a two part question here. Do you expect Rutger to sign once the University of Michigan season is over? That one's and easy. If, that, that that's a clear yes. Yeah, and I think we all agree that's going to happen. So I might as well move to the second part of the question. How likely do you think it is that Rutger McGrady plays a significant role on the Jets down the stretch and into the playoffs versus just playing, you know, kind of doing the Andrew Cop one game showcase? Yeah, I mean, like. Rutger McGrady will be around the Jets in the playoffs would be my expectation. I mean, if the Moose were in a different type of spot, you might be tempted if you're the Jets to not burn the year on the ELC and maybe have him, you know, sign an ATO or be assigned to the Moose and, and go on a long playoff run there. But although the Moose have played better, you know, that, that would not be the expectation as of this moment. Um, do I think he's going to immediately jump into the top six? No, but I would also not discount the fact that he could get into some games. Now, significant role, that is open to interpretation. So do I think that Rutger McGrady has the skill set to be able to force his way into the lineup or potentially be there on a consistent basis? Yes, but I need to see it. So I'm not banging on the table saying the Jets have to find a spot in the top six immediately for Rutger McGrady. I don't think that's the case. Do I think he could jump in, start on a fourth line and work his way up the lineup, given his, uh, you know, size, skill, scoring ability, character, leadership ability, ability to adapt? Uh, this guy's played a lot of big games in his career already at the age of 19 and soon to be 20. Maybe he's 20 already. Uh, he probably is. But this is a guy who does everything, exudes all of the qualities the Jets will be looking for in a player. Now, does that mean as of right this second, he can jump the queue ahead of someone like Cole Perfetti, who has over 100 games in his belt, over someone like Morgan Barron, who's been battling to become a full-time player and spent almost all of last season on the third line? I'm not sure. I need to see him around the team. I need to see what his adjustment's going to be like. I think he would be capable of making the jump, but it's not like the Jets are are throwing guys out there that aren't capable NHL players. They, they have capable NHL players that can't get into the lineup right now. <laughs> so that's why I would also caution. I'm not saying he can't do it. I would just say the jets are going to be patient at the same time. You know, I've used the Matthew Nye's example before, not because I think they're similar players because 
they're not. They have a similar body type, but they're guys who made a big impact at the NCAA level. and Similar will, situations. And it will be feeling good once their seasons are over and when they arrive. Now, can Michigan go on a run and get to the Frozen Four? It's possible, but right now they're not one of the you know top four or five college teams. So mm-hmm. that might mean he could be done earlier. Now, would that mean the Jets want to send him to the Moose first? to get him kind of try to get him up to speed at the pro level. I think the timing will have some impact on this as but I also think, you know, we can't discount the fact he went through a massive injury that he had to battle his way back from. So he's already had a bit of a, you know, adversity situation that he's dealt with early on this year. Now that's not to say that that, that will prevent him from getting to the NHL level, but it might slow the process down. And uh, no matter what happens, Rutger McGordy is going to be a very good Winnipeg Jet for a long time. And I think he has the potential to jump into the lineup at some point, whether that's as a full-time player, whether that's as a fourth-line player, whether that's as a guy who has a bigger role, that's up to Rutger McGordy and potentially up to an injury that opens the door for him to play an enhanced role. But I do expect him to join. I'd expect him to sign a there's nothing else that he has to prove at the at the Frozen Four level, NCAA level. Uh, you know, he would be disappointed if he doesn't win a championship. But this is a guy with NHL aspirations. Yeah. He sees what kind of team the Jets have. And I don't think he would risk a potential long playoff run, no matter how much he plays in it, to go back to school for a third year. Uh, we know how much he enjoys Winnipeg based on his development camp experience here. Uh, this is a guy that I think is ready to make the jump to the pro game, but I also would say, you know, I'm not here to say he's ready to jump on the first line and, you know, be the Jets' most dominant player. That's just an unrealistic expectation. But I use this example with Hustler on Friday, guys. In 2011, I- I'm pretty sure I'd have to check, double check, but Tyler Sagan did not play in the first round for the Boston Bruins, I don't believe, but he played a role as they went to the Stanley Cup as a young player. So, I could see that type of thing being the case for Rutger. Again, I'm not saying he would not be in the lineup at all in round one, but I do think, you know, there is a pecking order that he will have to work his way up in order to get to that point. But I know. So then Kenny, who are the Jets going to trade McGordy to? Because obviously, (laughs) no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) To nobody. They will be trading him to nobody. That would be, he would be one of the few untouchables and, I mean, you guys know this. I spoke with Colby Barlow about two weeks ago, and he's just on an absolute heater. And again, yes, he is. Would be great for him, you know, depending on how long their OHL playoff run goes, to spend some time with the you know Manitoba Moose the same way that you know Josh Morrissey and Mark Shifley spent a little bit of time with St. John's, you know, back in their early you know eighteen and nineteen year old years, um, just just to extend a season that again was disrupted by an injury. So. Uh, you know, future's quite bright on that front. So it, it, it brings the dynamic to be, you know, again, we're very focused on this year, but having guys that will be on entry level contracts in the next, let's say one or two years will, you know, enhance a lot of things for the Winnipeg Jets and kind of almost have a little bit of a 2018 feel when you had a line yeah. a and Kyle Connor on ELCs with yeah. the core group that's trying to go on runs for multiple years. 
that next wave of offensive talent is right around the corner. Ken Weeb, Weeb's World on X slash Twitter, Kenny and Rennie, Winnipeg Free Press. You know all the different platforms you can find them on. Kenny, it's been a great experience as usual. A great trip to the buffet on this Saturday morning. Have a great rest of your day, my friend. We'll see you again real soon. Yeah, always a treat. And uh, I know I sent a message, but uh, congrats on the anniversary and uh, yes. keep her going. Always Thank you, appreciate Kenny. that Thank message, you. Kenny. Love you. Yeah. Take care, buddy. We'll see you soon. There he goes. Ken Weeb joining us this morning. Want to remind everybody Thursday night, 7 p.m., Boston Pizza, Taylor Avenue. A leap day party so big it happens only every four years. Get Come your watch- fish bowls ready, Drew. There you go. Get your fish bowls ready. Come watch the Jets and the Stars and then join us for a live on location edition of the Illegal Curve post game show. That's Boston Pizza, Taylor Avenue, Illegal Curve. Thursday, 7 p.m., 1160 Taylor Avenue. We will see you there. When we come back, we've talked about the on-ice Winnipeg Jets news. We now have to talk about the off-ice Winnipeg Jets news. Drew's going to purchase 350 season tickets next. <laughs> all, all on my credit card. Stay with us as you watch that credit card get rejected over and over and over again. It's the Illegal Curve Hockey Show, Saturday morning. We're live on our YouTube channel and all of our social media platforms keeping winnipeg laughing for over 30 years rumors canada's longest running comedy club bringing you the biggest laughs from the best comedians on the planet jerry seinfeld chris rock john stewart dennis miller brad garrett the greats and all the up-and-comers too when was the last time you laughed out loud make it a great night out with friends or book your office or birthday party even a fundraising event at rumors get all the details and dates on upcoming shows at rumorscomedyclub.com whoa ezzy everything okay you look stressed of course I'm stressed. We're moving, the house is upside down, the kids failed miserably at packing the fine china, and my life is in chaos. Chaos. Yes, that does sound like a problem. What am I going to do? Ezzy, relax. Rolly's transfer moving and storage is the answer. With 60 years of experience in moving Manitobans and a track record of exemplary customer service, one call to Rolly's and your stress is gone. No job is too big or too small. Just visit rollies.com and they will take it from there. Thanks, Dave. And thank you, Rollies Transfer Moving and Storage, online at rollies.com. Hey, Drew. Ezzy, whoa, what a smile. Yeah, I got my crowns done at Linden Market Dental Center and they whiten my teeth. I see. They're so bright that every time I smile, they go, We have hockey tonight. Do you have a mouth guard to protect those pearly whites? I sure do. Whoa, they even ting through the mouth guard. Linden Market Dental Center covers all your dental needs from restorative to cosmetic dentistry and will fit you with a sports guard for that active lifestyle. 877 Waverly. See LindenMarketDental.com. Boston Pizza harnessed Fatalytics to test if the game is better at home or at Boston Pizza. The results are irrefutable. Catch the game at Boston Pizza. Powered by Fatalytics. We did it again. You're on fire, man. There's power in a handshake. After a great game or great deal, it shows professionalism and respect. Two quality Zapia Group Realty take pride in. You don't build a business where 95% of your clients are referred by others without honesty, integrity, and total dedication to client satisfaction. To sell your home for more in less time, shake hands with Frank and Mauro Zappia of Zappia Group Realty. Get started at zappiagroup.com. Imagine, if you will, for a second, Mr. Ginsburg, 
that candy was banned in Winnipeg for 15 years. No candy could be found. There was That's no the candy. That's the most depressing thing I've ever heard. Right. Isn't that pretty depressing? The thought of no candy. There's no candy to be found. You know, there's this is just, a metaphor, isn't it? This is a metaphor. There's no candy to be found for 15 years. Then a candy shop reopens. Unexpected. It's a confluence of events that was unexpected, but people in Winnipeg took advantage of it, and there was uh, a great candy shop that opened up. And people lined up for blocks and blocks and blocks and blocks, and they got their candy, and they paid whatever the price would be for their candy, no matter what. But, you know, at some point in time, the desire for that candy begins to wear off. And the people who owned that candy shop, they didn't really treat their customers that well. They took them for granted. They didn't provide the necessary customer service to ensure that people kept lining up for the candy. And at a point in time, the candy shop realized they didn't have as many customers as they as they once did. So... Back to the drawing board. How do we get people to come back to our candy shop? Well, should we come out and threaten that we're going to remove the candy from Winnipeg again? There shan't be any more candy again in Winnipeg? Or, as an alternative method, should they maybe try and work harder one day at a time, one phone call at a time, one step at a time to contact their former customers and find out why they're no longer coming for candy. I think I know which way would be the better of the two options. As a potential candy customer, I wouldn't want to be threatened that the candy shall go away if I don't return, rather than maybe getting a phone call and saying, let's have a conversation about why candy is not a priority for me anymore or what the candy shop can do to win back my business. That, to me, would be the better course of action rather than the threatening course of action. Of course, as, as he just referenced, I'm obviously using candy as a metaphor for the Winnipeg Jets and for their ownership group, Mark Chipman and the wealthiest man in Canada, David Thompson. But again, here we go again, out of nowhere, really. Chris Johnson is the mouthpiece for this one in The Athletic. We saw it yesterday. I like Chris Johnson. Um, but I, I just, for the life of me, do not understand the course of action being adopted by the Winnipeg Jets and by the True North Sports and Entertainment for trying to win back the customers that they lost because of their arrogance and their inattention to customer service over the last decade plus. Sure, there's no doubt that customer service has or or lack of good customer service acceptable customer service, whatever you want to talk about that, that has directly impacted the season ticket base. I just want to say one thing as well. And you're right. You know, we have had Chris Johnston on the show. And again, this is not, you know, something against Mark Chipman personally, but he's got to speak to the local media. This needs to be addressed here. And I realize that there's and hang a on, long... Let me stop you for a second, Ezzy. Open invitation. An open invitation for Mark Chipman to join us at any point in time, live or recorded, we open invitation. Come on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show and talk to our audience. There are almost 400 of you here on a Saturday morning, 400 people who obviously are supremely passionate about the Winnipeg Jets. Come talk to us. Come talk to our audience. 
we'll ask you hard questions. You might not like the questions. And I know that's why he runs to Dreger and why he runs to CJ, because those guys are just stenographers. But come here, talk to our audience locally about your issues and your and and the state of the Winnipeg Jets franchise. And also, or also, go on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Go on us. Talk to Mike McIntyre. Talk to Paul Friesen. Talk to Scott Billick. Like talk to the talk to the people who cover the Jets on a daily basis. And again, this is not a knock on Chris Johnston at all. That was a very informative, well written article. Chris Johnston is a veteran in the journalism business, in the sports journalism journalism business. This has nothing to do with him personally. But the only time Mark Chipman speaks to the media is when it's to the national media. And to me, that's a problem. And again, I I believe that he has been requested by, let's just say, I'm not going to say any names here, but I believe he has been requested multiple times by beat writers in this market. So both the Winnipeg Free Press and the Winnipeg Sun. I just think at this point, it's almost... To the Winnipeg Free Press because he's up... He won't speak to the Winnipeg Free Press because Paul Wiesick called him a used car salesman. And Paul Wiesick no longer well, works for I, the Winnipeg. Maybe I don't know that. Like, right, is that why? Yeah, he, which which was a beyond the pale uh, insult. Uh, uh, you know uh, that the free press is continuing to regret. That was when. But Wiesick wasn't that was like call- five or six years ago? No question. It was when Wiesick was the, their columnist. The brief period of time that Paul Wiesick, who is uh, acerbic, would be the word that I would use in, in describing some of his writing. Uh, you know, and, and and you know, rightfully so. I have no problem with with Mark Chipman, who made a lot of his money and his family made a lot of money in the in the car business, being insulted by that comment as a, as as a sl- taking well, it as he's a not. slur. I mean, he's now more of a real estate developer, well, and he's an that's where they made their money of, of a Jets team. So, I mean, that was that wasn't fair. I mean, I mean, I'm not I'm not here to defend Mark Chipman, but that wasn't a fair comment mm-hmm. to make. That was insulting. I would say defamatory. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not in a legal sense. I just don't think it's just beyond the pale. It's, Exactly. It's putting you on the pill, not a nice thing to say. All I'm saying is before we get into the whole season ticket thing, I don't think there's a controversy here. Like I, I, I know a lot of Jets fans see that article and then their mind immediately goes to, you know, are the Jets going to possibly leave if, if True North doesn't get the season ticket base up? The Jets are not going anywhere. Let's not kid ourselves here. I think that the Jets are easily going to get back up to 11,000 to 11,500. I don't know if they're going to get back up to 13,000 season tickets, but I think they can easily get up to 11 to 12. Look, I I want to highlight this comment from Elias McCracken. As a businessman, I do not go to my customers whining that my sales are down, and if they don't buy from me, I will shutter my business. I would go to my customers and find out where I need to improve to meet their needs. Exactly right. You can't threaten people it's it's just not that's not a business model that's not a business plan it's not you know look you you're you're playing on people's emotions every time the only time that anyone hears from you when you talk about relocation and it not being sustainable you know you need to take a different approach and i know they're doing a lot of other things and i get that and that's good and but it's late they should have been doing that from day one. They were arrogant, and they've sort of acknowledged that arrogance. But you know, you're just now trying to build back the relationships that you lost. You don't get to work on that for a small number of months. Find out that it maybe isn't working exactly as well as you wanted to, and then put a gun to people's heads. That's not how it works. 
I'm a little it's bit confused about the timing of this as well. Not confused, but interested in the timing, Drew, because as you know, the Jets have had a few sellouts recently, and uh, I, I believe the Minnesota game was close to a sellout. It was like 14,600 or something. It was like, let's say, 90% sold. And so you wonder, now that attendance is better and the Jets are doing well, we talked about it first in the Central in terms of points percentage, top five in the NHL, the timing of this is weird. And we should mention that Gary Bettman visits each city in the NHL once a year. Yes, so it's does. possible this was planned long in advance. This whole notion of, you know, the NHL is monitoring the situation. It's so passive aggressive. It's ridiculous. It's like insulting. there's no, it is insulting. And I'll tell you a few reasons why it's insulting, not just because of what happened back in 1996 with the Jets leaving to Arizona, but is the timing, again, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but the timing of that, you know, the release about the Salt Lake City, obviously Salt Lake City is now kind of the NHL's new favorite shiny toy, right? right? Like that was just a few weeks ago that the NHL came out with that PR saying that basically, you know, we're looking at Salt Lake City and then people start talking about, you know, possible relocation of the Coyotes to Salt Lake City. And then now people start speculating that, well, if the Jets don't get their season ticket base up in the next couple of years, the Jets could leave. The difference, the differences between... 2024 and 1996 i mean it's apples and oranges i mean the city is growing there's way more um there it's just it's there was no arena in 1996 first and foremost that arena was antiquated right so i think to compare this to 1996 is ridiculous but there's no doubt the jets have to improve their season ticket base they have to get more corporate support like the, Those are like, all fine things to say as and i don't have a problem with that those are all 100 true it's how it is expressed and how it is framed that is the problem that is so tone deaf about it. Coming out and saying, look, we need more support from the corporate community. Fine. No argument. No problem with that. 100%. We need to build back our season ticket base. Yes. No problem. 100%. Everybody, every team wants to have a season ticket base of 99% sold and a waiting list a mile and a half long. Every team wants that. But figure out a way to get that without issuing threats and ultimatums. That's the problem to me. Look, I have a little bit of experience in my personal life with regards to customer service and sales and how you market yourself and how you make yourself an attractive destination. It doesn't have, it's not with threats. Everybody else, everybody's got issues going on in their life that maybe for whatever reason precludes them from buying season tickets or they lapse their season tickets. Threatening me to buy season tickets is not going to make me buy season tickets. Pick up the phone. Call me. Find out why I once had season tickets and I no longer do. Build the relationship with me personally build the relationship one-on-one build the relationship that's how you succeed you're not going to win every single relationship battle you're not going to get everybody that once was a season ticket holder to come back and be a season ticket holder but it starts at the absolute micro level it starts with one phone call at a time It starts with making that one customer feel appreciated, and then it builds from there. So you 
you had a golden goose and you choked it because of your arrogance and you choked it because you didn't care about the customer service side. So now you're climbing uphill to try and get to that point. You can't take three steps up that hill, throw up your hands and say, well, I give up. It's going to take years yes. to build back up that mountain. I agree with that. And and the other thing too, that I don't think a lot of people, there's a couple things that a lot of people realize we have Marty Barone coming up in about five minutes. So I'll try to make this quick here. A couple things that I don't think you know people want to admit enough. First off, a lot has changed since 2011. I mean, the Jets have been back now for 13 years. It's hard to believe that it's been that long, but we're talking about almost a decade and a half. So the Jets are being back is not new. Jets fans have, have invested a lot of money in this team. Well, not everybody, but a lot of people have. I mean, without the fans, there's there's nothing. I mean, there there is no Nikolai Ehlers scoring two goals last night. I mean, certainly in Winnipeg, there wouldn't be. But the point I'm trying to make is... A lot of people have just decided they don't want to spend thousands of dollars on season tickets. They'll go to a few games a year, but a lot of people are fine just watching the game at home on their 60-inch high-definition high definition TV because they've got their beers in their mini fridge close by, and they can sit at home and eat a pizza and not spend you know $20 on parking and $11 on a beer and $15 on a hot dog, etc. Another thing is, now that there are only 96, roughly 9,600 season ticket holders as opposed to 13,700 I think the number was used by Chris Johnston right now that there are more tickets available I mean people will just wait and get a ticket for 70 bucks as opposed to maybe getting those season tickets that were 70 to 100 dollars right so like now there's actually it used to be that it was really hard to get a ticket to a Jets game for the first 10 years and I also think that the things were starting cracks were starting to show before the pandemic drew that's the other thing I wanted to say you can't say that the pandemic was, first off, the pandemic affected everybody in different ways. But most people, most businesses, I think you would agree, Drew, were affected negatively. There, there weren't that many business, unless you were in healthcare or something that, you know, revolved around home delivery or something like that. Most businesses were affected negatively by the pandemic. No question. So that's an obvious. So I just wanted to say that. But I do think that the customer service, True North, didn't do a good enough job. I mean, we heard Andrew McLaren. This is a guy, I don't know him personally, but he put this out on Twitter. He said that when he told True North that he only wanted to renew his season tickets for a year, they said, no, you have to renew for a minimum of four years. That's just not fair. Look, they, they, we don't need, we've, we've hashed it. We don't need to rehash it again. Marty Biron is here to join us. So we'll talk to Marty about move back to the on ice performance. I'm happy to discuss this at any point in time with anybody in the chat that wants to. I can see Brent Bellamy, who I have eternal respect for. And we clearly are on other side of the uh, opposite sides of the ledger here on this one. But anytime anybody wants to engage with me respectfully, I'll be glad to do it. But to threaten me is not the way that I would go about with regard to improving your customer service and your season ticket base our good friend marty biron tsn hockey analyst joins us now on the illegal curve hockey show saturday morning marty great to see you buddy how are things uh, you know what i don't know what you're talking about because when you guys said marty can you come on on saturday you said if you come on one time though you have to come on five more times <laughs> and i like i was threatened i had to come on five times but yeah, yet, marty, you did can it we anyways. interest you in some jet season tickets i know you live in buffalo but i thought you might be interested <laughs> You know what? I'll tell you this. Uh, Winnipeg was always a fun place for me to go. And not only did I come back when the Jets came back, but I remember in 95, 96, I got called up to Buffalo 
and I played some games. And then early in January 96, we went to Winnipeg. We actually had our rookie dinner at High Steakhouse in Winnipeg. Um, I, I begged Patty Lafontaine to let me pay because there was, I think, six or seven rookies. And I was like, look, I'm making a little bit of money. Let me pay and then I'll be done. And Patty goes, no, 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 you, you, you don't have to pay the rookie dinner. You, you're going to have your time when you come back to the NHL. I don't want, so I had a really good time, by the way, uh, as a rookie, not paying anything for the rookie dinner. But I remember being in the old uh, Winnipeg arena there with the picture of the queen and all of that and uh, playing the jets in 96. I, I, I didn't play Dom came back. Hasha came back that game after a long injury, but uh, I got to uh, enjoy Winnipeg in the old building and in the new one. And I always loved it. There you go. Love to hear that. Marty, I, I want to start with an image. I'm going to put it up here on, on the screen. Uh, this is Marty Berdur's top five active goaltenders. Let's see if I can make it even a little bit bigger. Uh, um, hang on. I got to scroll down a little bit here. <laughs> Andre Vasilevsky, Igor Shosturkin, Ilya Sorokin, Aiden Hill, Jacob Markstrom. As you might imagine, this probably caused a bit of a kerfuffle here in Winnipeg and in yeah. Dallas. Two goaltenders, uh, uh, you know, come to mind: Jake Ottinger, Connor Hellebuck, not listed on this list. Well, Marty, I think I think it's clear that Broder doesn't like American goalies. Um, well, maybe so, or I think it's clear that he's like, hey, maybe I can entice uh, Jacob Markstrom to want to come play for the, uh, <laughs> the New Jersey Devils. So I'm going to put him on my list. No, I think Markstrom deserves to be there. I get what you're saying, and and this is what I would see with this list. Vasilevsky is one of the best goaltender to have played in the league over the last what eight nine years maybe even 10 years like he has been fantastic he's not in the top five right now he wouldn't even be in my top 10 like when you look at the numbers right just the numbers alone i have to scroll down to 41 on moneypuck.com when it comes to goal save above expectation to see andre vasilevsky igor shesterkin has been on fire lately i'm putting him in my top five because i think he had a down first half of the year but he is that good sorokin is good but I mean, what are the Islanders right now, right? I, I I don't know. I I don't know that I'd have Vasilevsky in my top five. Well, I definitely know I wouldn't have Vasilevsky in my top five. I don't know that I would have, <clears throat> excuse me, would have Sorokin in my top five. Aiden Hill would have been there at the start of the season, the last two, three weeks. Eh. And I think Aiden Hill doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. He doesn't have enough uh of a uh, of a uh, history to be saying well yeah but it's just a, a three weeks or four weeks so i take aiden hill out so for me i take vaslevsky i take sorokin i take aiden hill out i put hellebuck i put demko and i probably put either sergey bobrovsky or jeremy swayman in there so oh, that would Ottinger? be my I, see ottinger i absolutely love but I can't put him in there this year with his performances. Like his sure. numbers are not great either. You got to go down. What did I say? You got to go down to 41 for Vasilevsky. You got to go down to, I'm so 52 and yeah, go save above expectation this year for Jake Ottinger. So I'm not putting him in the top five, but right. I think Shesterkin, Markstrom, Hellebuck, Demko, and either Bobrovsky or Swayman are in my top five. There you go. Let me get that off the stage. I, I had to start with that because it certainly uh, made a kerfuffle yesterday uh, in Winnipeg. So I thought, it, obviously, who better to ask about goaltending than, than yourself, well, Marty? Well, yeah, it's, yeah, that is, it's weird for Marty Brodeur to put out his top five goalie when he's with an organization. I think that's a little bit of a, 
I, I get it. Like, and I love it. Like, why not? <laughs> right. Why not just have an opinion on the league? It's okay. Um, but it's a little it's you know, odd to see a, 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 a person in a team's well, front office talking about other players uh, in well, other teams. And it's not just that he's the goalie who has the most wins in NHL history. Marty, I've said this to you before. I'm a devil's fan. So Marty yeah. Broder to me, he's, he's on Mount Rushmore at the very least, but I think a lot of people have, I don't know. Have you heard of this guy, Dominic Hasek? I'm not sure yeah. if you've heard of him, yeah. but I think so, he might be on Mount Rushmore as well. So I always said, I have Hasek one. I have Brodeur two and Wa, Patrick Wa three. And that maybe I'm a little biased because I hated the Canadians, right? So I grew up a Quebec Nordiques fan. So I'm like, I'm not giving Patrick the benefit of the doubt. Uh, but I always say there's three ways to rank them. Dominic Hasek is the most dominant goaltender to ever play the position. Like in his days, there was nobody coming in even near him. The amount of shutouts he's getting, the 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 if there was goal save above expectations back there, I mean, he would have been dominated the league by, by 30, <laughs> 40 goals save above expectations, right? That would have been crazy. Marty Brodeur is the best regular season goalie of all time. And then Patrick Roy was the best playoff goalie of all time. That's the way I kind of ranked all three of them. And then I just, yeah, I put Dom number one, but that's the way it is. But uh, maybe Marty wants to come back and play in New Jersey. Maybe that's why he didn't put himself number six, but I think they need something to happen in New Jersey. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I, I, Marty, I think, made the best point there. It's hard to argue with your top five. I think Devils fans should be more maybe upset that Nico Dawes or Vitek Vanacek or somebody like that, he didn't even pick one of his own goalies. Wow. So obviously, yeah, that was a little He'd bit He lost weird, all but... credibility if he'd have put yeah. it up there. I mean, I, and I get it. Uh, but yeah, this is... I, I And listen, maybe Marty's done a lot of homework because they have internal meetings in New Jersey and they say, hey... Who should we acquire? So th th that's the conversation, right? Who should New Jersey go and get? Should they get a Jake Allen? Should they get a Capo Kakinen in New San Jose? Should they try to go get a John Gibson? I would advise against that. That's for sure. Or why, is it Jacob why, Markstrom and nothing why? else? I think it's almost Markstrom and nothing else. Why would you advise against John Gibson? There's I never really liked John Gibson as a hey, he's a great goaltender and all that, but he's not my type of goaltender. He's very stiff. Uh, I think there's always injuries. He's very injury prone. The contract's not that good. Three more years at uh, you know over six million dollars, I think, uh, is left on his contract. So I would stay away from that. Markstrom, I'm like, Markstrom has had a fantastic year and. You're not just getting a rental for this year. You're getting two more years at $6 million for a goaltender that's the top five. Like, okay, I get it. He's got a no-movement clause, and maybe that's going to limit the, the options. But, you know, New Jersey, people don't understand is hey, the devils. It's the devils. It used to be like they play in the Meadowlands. It's, it's terrible. New Jersey is, you know, a ferry away from Manhattan. It's, yeah. uh, it's, yeah. it's uh, you know, Newark is, is – eh, it's not that great. But there's a lot of great spot in Jersey to live, and it's right there in the heart of New York City or whatnot, the, the metropolitan area. I think New Jersey gets a bad rap for a, a place of living, but it's it's pretty nice. Yeah, and I yeah. want to ask – sorry, go ahead, Drew. I was going to ask Marty this. You know, goaltenders at the trade deadline – 
don't necessarily get dealt all that often. I mean, yes, last year, Marc-Andre Fleury got traded, but he was in more of a tandem situation. The last sort of big number one goalie, a guy you're familiar with, of course, was Ryan Miller, who went from Buffalo to St. Louis, and it didn't really work out very well there, uh, especially at that trade deadline. Is it harder for a goaltender to get accustomed to a new team at the deadline than it might be for a middle six forward or for a top four defenseman from your perspective, Marty? So I'll tell you this. I got traded at the deadline myself to go to Philadelphia. It wasn't on a competing team. We were last in the league. We finished 30th in the league in Philly that year. But I actually loved the challenge and the excitement and uh, what are we going to look like the next day type of thing. I love that. Right. And I, I felt like, I feel like I performed pretty well in a team that was pretty bad um, in the last month and a half of the season. Uh, But I agree with you. I always said trading for a goaltender to be your number one, it rarely works. And signing a free agent goaltender to be your number one rarely works. Um, There is obviously exception to that, but, you have to develop your goalies. You have to draft them, develop them, work with them, spend the time, and then hope that they become, you know, a, a top 10, top 5, top 10, top 15 goalie in the NHL to have success. Uh, look at Connor Hellebuck. You know, that's perfect example. Sure. Drop and, um, you know, Thatcher Demko and, you know, Vasilevsky and Shesterkin and, you know, Lundqvist and, and Miller was traded from Buffalo to St. Louis to finish the year, and then he moved on to, you know, Vancouver. Um, Those rental situations are never good, in my opinion, when you get a goaltender. Uh, Getting Jacob Markstrom for this year and two more, okay, I can live with that because – not only am I making a push right now, but if I have a team that's built for the, to be competitive for the next three, four years, I have a guy for two more years, right? That, I think, is the uh, um, maybe the other side of things that uh, we don't value enough, but I think is very, very valuable in trading for a guy like Jacob Markstrom. Marty, I got to ask you about the Detroit Red Wings. You mentioned, you, you know, you're... You know, relatively close, closer than we yeah. are to Detroit living in Buffalo. And it's it just doesn't seem like a lot of people talk about the Red Wings. Like it, it's they're they're in a wild card spot right now, but it seems like you know a lot of people still think, and you know, I, I could easily see a team like the Islanders or the Devils, they have some work to do, but they could catch the Red Wings, but they've won three games in a row. And you know, a lot not a lot of people talk about, I guess, you know, how remarkable their season has been. I just wanted to ask you why you think that is. Well, funny enough, uh, at the start of the season, I thought Buffalo and Ottawa were going to be ahead of the uh, Red Wings because I didn't think that the Red Wings had enough, you know, game changers, right? Like Dylan Larkin's a really good hockey player, but I didn't think he was Brady Kachuk or Tage Thompson game changing type of player. Mo Sider is a really good defenseman. I didn't think he was Rasmus Dahlin or Thomas Shabbat, you know, type of game changing defenseman. And now I'm looking at Detroit and I'm like, Every time I turn the game, I see Mo Sider, I see Dylan Larkin, and now I see Patrick Kane. I see David Perron, which was a nice addition, right? Like Detroit went and got older veterans that I thought, eh, I don't know that I like the, the, what they're doing. Andrew Kopp, like I'm like, eh, I'm not too sure about that, but they did it. Now, what has saved the Detroit Red Wings this year is what has probably hurt the Ottawa Senators for the better part. And in Buffalo, they finally figure it out, but it's maybe a little too little too late, is goaltending. Alex Lyons saved the Florida Panthers last year and now is saving the Detroit Red Wings this year. <laughs> and that's like, that's why I think not enough, you know, not a lot of people are giving Detroit maybe their dues because they're like, okay, Detroit is fighting against 
Vasilevsky. They're fighting against, uh, you know, Sorokin and Varlamov. They're fighting against Sidney Crosby and Tristan Jari and all of that. And you're saying like, oh, do I really want to put my belief in my belief in, in Alex Lyon? Well, I mean, watch enough and you're going to say, hey, Lyon is playing really well and Detroit is on a roll. So I, I think Detroit is the team right now that if I looked at the, the Eastern Conference, the top eight, I'm like, they're in. Tampa, I'm not sure. I'm still like, whoa, Tampa, is just, it's a struggle right now. Kucherov didn't look great the last few games. And when he's not on the ice, they can't produce with anybody else. So it's like, oh, man, and they lost Sergachev. So I think Detroit is... Uh, is is separating themselves now from uh, from the rest of the teams that are trying to fight for a playoff spot. Marty Biron, our guest Saturday morning. This is the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Marty here in Winnipeg. I mean, we know Connor Hellebuck gets all the headlines, but it's been a very enviable goaltending tandem this year yeah. with Hellebuck and Lauren Francois certainly uh, doing his part with a 9.20 save percentage and a 2.28 goals against average. When he's been in the net for the Jets, there has not been a, a significant drop-off. He's been really good for the Jets this year. My question, though, Brassois is a pending unrestricted free agent at this stage of your career of his career you know he's he's sort of been bounced between winnipeg and vegas mm -hmm. you know when does it become almost that you're more comfortable as a backup and a very good thing versus always chasing that opportunity to maybe be a starting goaltender somewhere else you know, that is sort of, that would be a, a question mark because he never really was able to grab that Vegas job uh, by the, uh, you know, by the throat when he was, when he was there. So he's 30 years old and, uh, you know, I think it's starting to become that, okay, where is the dream and where is the, okay, I have a role and I can be successful in this role. And for me, it was after my New York Islanders season uh, so that is 2008, 2000, uh, 2009, 2010. So I was 33 years old. And at, at 32, I still was like, okay, I'm going to the New York Islanders and I want to be their number one goaltender. I had just finished two years with the Flyers as their number one goaltender, gone to the playoffs back-to-back -back years in 2008 and 2009. So I'm like, okay, I, I still want to keep going, right? And I went to the Islanders and it didn't go well. And I was 32 at the time, 33. And I'm, I, I told myself, I'm like, okay, I, I can look for a number one job somewhere, but it's going to be a grind. It's not going to be a team that is, hey, we're making the playoffs. It's not going to be as much fun. Right. It's going to be a grind. Um, do I want to go through that or do I want to find a really nice situation? And I explored both, right? And, and really, to be honest with you, that summer of 2010 when I became a UFA, um, the New York Islanders gave me the opportunity before July 1 to talk to other teams. They said, Gart Snow said, Marty, you have our blessing. Go talk to other teams. It's not going to be tampering. We're fine with it. Go ahead. So we made phone calls. We talked to other teams. It came down that my best opportunities were to become a backup goaltender and to fulfill that role and enjoy it. And they, I mean, I remember going to New York to the Rangers for a visit. 
talking to John Tortorella, talking to Glenn Sater, talking to uh, Benoit Allaire, the goalie coach. And they were all like, we want you, Marty. Like, come on. Like, Hank Hank is, is really, really good, but he can't play 70 games a year. And last year he got hurt, and we didn't have the backup goaltender to help to give him a break. And and we 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 want you. And I was like, this is great. Like if they want me that bad, like I'm 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 gonna enjoy this role. And I did it for you know over three years <clears throat> with the Rangers and I loved every second of it. I actually got better because I I had this this drive internally to be the best backup goaltender, to be the best in what I was gonna do. And I think Laurent Brassois could could see that. Um, look, you're still making really good money. A, a backup goaltender in the NHL and a good one is making like $2 million. Right. Uh, I understand that Hellebuck is making eight and a half starting next year. So maybe they're not going to want to spend $10, $11 million on goaltender. But, you know, if you figure out that Hellebuck has played so well this year, why? Because he has the support of Brassois. Make the commitment because that is a really, really important part of your team. Apparently, Marty Hellebuck pays for dinner a lot when him and Brossois go out for dinner. Apparently, he, he yeah, picks up um, the bill quite a bit with I'll, that. I'll new tell you this. Um, Lundqvist paid for dinner a lot, too, and I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If he can if he can spend all that money on those suits, right? He was such a well-dressed guy. Not He's that you were. He didn't well. spend a dime on suits. They gave it to him. Yeah, it was true. so funny. Everybody is. Even his wife was like. He gets clothes given to him every single day, and they like, oh my gosh. That the was difference so is when they give us suits, we still don't look like him. They could give us the same yeah, well, suit, that's... but look at how he looks in those suits versus us. Yes, uh, and that was my point. Uh, one year we had Kangaroo Court in the plane, right? Because Sean Avery was saying how Lundquist's suit were cheap. They, uh, they, they were not good material. They, and my point was like. I don't care. I was I was the lead the lead attorney for the Lundquist defense, and I said I don't care if the suits are cheap or if they're bad materials or whatnot. He looks better in those cheap suits than any of us look in five thousand dollars suits. So there, I rest my case. Boom. I'll tell you what, I, I we could start. I want to start a reoccurring segment on this show, Marty, where you come and tell us kangaroo court stories from your playing uh. days. Yeah, there's uh, there's some I can tell, and some unfortunately I can't. I suspect that's the case. Yeah, I feel like Sean Avery could be like just an an hour show just alone, right? Uh, he could be, um, you know, for the good and for the bad. I'll tell you this: uh, I didn't know Sean very much, and uh, there's moments where I loved every single thing that he did, and there's moments I was like, okay, this may have crossed the line a little bit here, but he is. Uh, um, he, he was, he was ent conscious. an entertainer. That's what he was. Didn't he do like an internship with Vogue magazine yep. or something? Like oh that? yeah. He was really into the, the New York city fashion. He, uh, his wife was, uh, a, um, uh, really, really high end supermodel. She had like, uh, you know, basically campaigns. Like I think it was Estee Lauder or whatnot. That was like, she was the face of Estee Lauder for a long time. So he was really into that stuff. Yeah. I can kind of relate to that. I was the face of Weight Watchers, Marty. But I mean, I'm always, I'm always going to remember this in front of Marty Broder, Sean Avery uh, screening uh, Marty Broder, and I mean, that's obviously going to stand out. But I wanted and to not shaking hands after that playoff oh, yeah. series, like in yeah. the line. I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know better than anybody that Rangers Devils rivalry is real. It's kind of similar to the Jets Wild rivalry, I would say. But uh, I wanted to stick with the Rangers because, again asked you about the wings earlier but we obviously f like we focus more on the western conference like mm -hmm. here in winnipeg we're way more concerned with the stars the avalanche the canucks the teams out here 
And I wanted to stick with the Rangers because, as you know, they've won nine in a row. Yep. And unfortunately, Blake Wheeler is going to be out for the season. So obviously yeah, a lot of folks here in Winnipeg didn't like, I mean, not just in Winnipeg, across the NHL. That was tough to watch, especially, you know, Wheeler trying to kind of, um, I don't know, find a new identity and, yep. and just turn the next page, uh, you know, at the end of his career. But wanted to ask you what you think they might do at the trade deadline, because I don't know about you, but it seems like this trade deadline is just as unpredictable as ever. There's some really good players out there, both forwards, defensemen. We talked about goaltenders, Markstrom, uh, Kakinen, Jake Allen, you mentioned earlier. What do you, what do you see the, the Rangers doing? Like, do you see them adding a, a forward, a winger? Because it seems to me like they're very deep and 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 one of the teams to beat in the East for sure. I think that's Captain yeah. Obvious speaking. They need a top six forward. They have Jimmy VC right now playing with Zibanejad and Chris Kreider, and I don't know that Jimmy VC in the playoff series is your top line right winger, right? I mean, that's Lafreniere, Trocek, Panarin have played really well together. They're getting better production from Capo Caco, but I think if you move VC down and then you move everybody down a little bit more, uh, it's going to help. Uh, on defense, they're really good. I mean, they're as solid as it come. I love Trubuck, Keandre Miller, Fox, obviously, Lindgren. Like, they are really good. And so the big thing for me for the Rangers is I think the top two teams in the East are the Florida Panthers and the New York Rangers. They're the top two teams in the East right now. Carolina is right up there, but I don't still... Uh, waiting. I'm actually Carolina's coming into Buffalo tomorrow. I can't wait to see them live um, mm -hmm. because I want to see what they're all about. But so the Rangers early in the season were a power play team. Five on five, not so good. Power play, unbelievable. Um, you had Shesterkin struggling. You had Jonathan Quick playing out of his mind. And then at the trade at the uh, All Star break, actually Jonathan Quick played three straight games. Played two before the break and the game after the break. And Shesterkin got a you know, a rest, a pause, a reset. And uh, Shesterkin's been lights out since then. Five games, 5-0, 945 save percentage. And and that, including the five games he gave in the uh, stadium series, right? He, the five goals he gave up in the stadium series. So that he's been lights out. And now the Rangers are a better five-on-five -five team. The Rangers actually kill penalties with with an uh, with aggressive an aggressive nature they had a 5 minute penalty the other night when uh, Rempe hit uh, Bastion right mm -hmm. they had two or three scoring chances on the 5 minute penalty kill and the devils were terrible on the power play so the rangers have that confidence now in the way that they play Shesterkin's playing better i think they're the uh, you know in my top 2 in the east with the florida panthers now florida has got the injuries you know they got uh, lumber not not lumber um they got uh, Kachuk, and then Kachuk they got somebody up. else. A oh, Forsling, Gustav Forsling got hurt, yeah. right? Forsling yeah. and and Kachuk. So that may hurt the Florida Panthers a little bit, but I still think Florida, New York, one and two. Let me ask you this one for a final question, Marty. Yeah. Uh, you know, which of the teams, sort of towards the top of the standings, either east or west, from your mind, is a bit of a paper tiger right now? Not really as good as their record might indicate. Well, you mentioned Jake Ottinger earlier, and I am. On the fence with the Dallas Stars. I could pick him to win the Stanley Cup, and I could pick him to lose out in the first round. And yeah. I think that's the thing. Like, if you look at that division, you know, Dallas, Winnipeg, Colorado. They're 1-2-3 right now in mm -hmm. the Central Division. Like, Colorado, they need a backup goaltender. They need to give Georgiev a break. And yeah. if they don't, they're going to – Georgiev's going to run out. Like, he's going to get to the playoffs. He's going to just run out of energy. That's going to be Colorado out. Uh, Winnipeg, I love where they are and probably will win that division, in my opinion. But Dallas, 
Like some nights they look so good and the depth up forward. You have Ben and Pavelski on the third line. Sagan's <laughs> playing so good. You're like, they're, they, they look great. And some nights they are terrible. And so I don't know. They're very Jekyll and Hyde in, in Dallas. I think they're more like on paper, they look fantastic, but they haven't been able to put it together. Marty, fantastic as always. We'll do it again real soon. Appreciate your time. Always appreciate your insight. Yeah, I owe you. You know, I have to come back four more times now right. because it wasn't just a one-time thing. So yeah, you signed a five-show appearance contract. Yes, thank you guys. Thanks, Marty. Take care, buddy. We'll do it again soon. Thanks, Marty. Yep. Marty Biron, always one of our favorites. He's just a fantastic guest on the show and has been well, for many he knows, years. I mean, he was a, the thing is like, hold that thought, hold that thought as we got to, we got to fit in the commercial break and then we'll come back and right. we'll wrap and we'll talk about Marty's appearance. Don't go anywhere. The illegal curve hockey show rolls on. We are back a couple minutes to wrap up on this Saturday morning edition of the illegal curve hockey show. We want to remind everybody illegal curve proud to be one of the media sponsors for the upcoming Rady JCC 2024 sports dinner. That's coming up May 28th at the RBC convention center here in downtown Winnipeg. One of the best sporting nights on the calendar, legendary NHLers Grant Fear, Doug Gilmore and Wendell Clark are your guest speakers and, if they're anything like Ed Belfour, Chris Chelios, and Jeremy Roenick were last year, then you know it's going to be a great night out. Tons of memorabilia, one of the highlights of the sporting calendar. Be sure to get your tickets, RadyJCC.com. Illegal Curve, thrilled to be a part of this fantastic event yet again, Mr. Ginsburg. Yeah, I can't, can't wait to go up to Doug Gilmore and, and Wendell Clark and pull the Chris Farley and say, Hey, do you guys remember when you almost went to the Stanley Cup Finals in 1993 and played the Montreal Canadiens? I mean, that obviously, you know, people, uh, you know, that were alive, our generation, you know, people yeah. close to us in age remember that that Leafs run in 1993 and how well Wayne Gretzky played in that Western Conference Final. I mean, that was incredible. But obviously, Clark and Gilmore, they were at their peak at that point, right? Like people forget uh, Wendell Clark scored 46 goals uh one season right like he wasn't yeah. just a you know a, a grinder he was a guy that could put the puck in the net and obviously Doug Gilmore I mean he had a legendary career so and great not to mention Grant Grant Fewer who happens to be a Hall of Famer right so yeah. um I mean those those three names are absolute legends and I think especially if you're a Leafs fan um I mean that's going to be tough to 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 not purchase a ticket to see those guys talk absolutely will be what a great show this was uh saturday morning as you and i back sort of old school the two of us it's been a while this was yep. a lot of fun uh and we're going to do it again tomorrow evening after the jets and the coyotes right around that 7 40 p.m give or take a couple minutes the illegal curve post game show will be back rocking and rolling after the jets and the coyotes and then after tomorrow we won't spend any time together for a good solid two or three months because we'll have flushed it out of our systems entirely yeah, absolutely. We're going to take a little <laughs> bit of a break. I mean, I mentioned that next week I'm going to be doing a little bit of parenting, so I'm not going to be able to join you boys on Thursday night at Boston Pizza. I'm going to tune into the game, obviously, and watch you guys on the post game show afterwards. So it's going to be a lot of time, a lot of fun. So hopefully, a lot of folks can join us at Boston Pizza on Taylor next yeah. Thursday night for Thursday night for the Jets and Stars. And you know, we didn't spend maybe as much time as we would have liked talking about the Coyotes, but 
you know, I think this goes without saying. I don't think anybody for, wants to spend time talking well, about the Coyotes. No, I, I, you know, fair enough. But I think, you know, it goes without saying that you, are, you don't want to be taking this team lightly. I mean, it's not a good team. They're not making the playoffs this year. This little stretch, I yeah. mean, a couple of months ago, they were still in it, or a month ago, even they were in it. But what are they back? Six points now, seven points. They might Doesn't be further back. They lost 11 in a row. You need, yeah, to, you, but, need you need a clean two points. Yeah. You, you know, uh, you didn't quite get the clean two points uh, last night against Chicago. You got the two, but it wasn't in regulation time. The Jets need a regulation victory against a, uh, a, a, a Coyotes team that is certainly in the doldrums. Uh, and that'll be, of course, a conversation that we'll have tomorrow night. A uh, big thank you to uh, Ken Weeb. Big thanks to Marty B. Ron for joining us on the show. In case you missed any of the program, the instant replay is on the YouTube channel. And of course the podcast will be available a little later on this afternoon as we get Dave M to do that while he's away. Cause the man uh, still has to do his job uh, even while away from the show. Big thanks to our sponsors. They make the Saturday show, the post game show and the website, a possibility. That's our friends at rumors, restaurant and comedy club grid park. Use code illegal curve to park for free. Linden market dental center, Zapia group, realty, Betway, tough duck, Boston Pizza, Seagram's, Rolly's Transfer, and Farmery Beer support these fine businesses because of their continued support of Illegal Curve Hockey. If you haven't already done so, smash the like button, subscribe to the YouTube channel, leave us feedback on YouTube, leave us feedback on iTunes, leave us feedback on Google Podcasts, leave us feedback on Spotify. Wherever you get this show, be sure to leave us feedback. We'll be back again tomorrow night, 7.40, give or take a couple minutes for the Illegal Curve postgame show after the Jets and the Coyotes. IllegalCurve.com rolls on as your destination for all your hockey news in Manitoba. And happy birthday, Bailey. I'm not sure if it's her birthday today, but people are saying it's Bailey's birthday. So happy birthday, Bailey. Happy birthday to the intern, Bailey. Happy birthday, Uh, whether it's today or tomorrow, whenever it is. Happy birthday to you, Bailey. Thanks for all your support and continued support of our programs here on the YouTube channel. For Ezra Ginsburg, I'm your host, Drew Mandel. If it's Saturday for the past 15 plus years, you know that it's the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. We'll see everybody tomorrow night. Have a great Saturday, everybody. Thanks for listening to this broadcast from Illegal Curve Hockey. For more great Illegal Curve content, subscribe to the Illegal Curve YouTube channel, follow at Illegal Curve on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit your online home for hockey in Winnipeg, IllegalCurve.com.